Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This edition of the Ruler podcast was recorded before the sad news of Richard Moore's passing. Former racer for Scotland, award-winning author, journalist, occasional Ruler contributor, co-founder of the cycling podcast, Richard was a truly larger-than-life character, revered and respected throughout the cycling community. His love of the sport shone through in everything he did, and his warm and generous nature, not to mention his infectious humour, made Richard a hugely popular man throughout the cycling world. He'll be deeply missed by us all. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Relure Tech podcast. I am your host, Dan Cavallari, here in Colorado. And today's guest, actually, strangely enough, is also in Colorado. That so rarely happens these days. <laughs> uh, today, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some training tools. And, uh, you know, if you're anything like me, you've probably spent the last few months sitting inside training on a, on a trainer. Uh, it can be somewhat agonizing, but it actually is a pretty good way to get your fitness back uh, over the winter months and in preparation for the season if you have the right tools. Uh, and so my go-to tools are, uh, it's actually sitting right next to me. I'm looking at it all right now. I have a, I have a pretty swanky setup. I've got a, a Wahoo kicker and my bike's on the kicker and I've got the kicker climb. I've got all that stuff. But more importantly, um, the three tools that I use pretty much without fail on every training ride is a power meter, a heart rate strap, and Zwift. Uh, so those are my three uh, tools that I use to go and get stronger. But how do they all work and, and why do they all work? So we're going to start today with a little bit of the science behind it. On the line right now, I have uh, Neil Henderson, who is the head of Wahoo Sports Science. Neil, how's it going? Very good. Thanks for having me on, Dan. Yeah, thank you. I know you guys are in the middle of uh, moving into a new office in, in Boulder, and uh, it's busy time, so I appreciate your time. Uh, Neil, just for perspective, so people know who you are out there, if they haven't heard of you, can you give me just a little bit of your background so people know why I'm talking to you about these uh, these these topics? So I'm, I'm Neil Henderson. I'm here in Boulder, Colorado. I've uh, been involved in the endurance sports world for, for quite some time. Um, I consider myself both a coach and sports scientist. And on the sports science realm of things, we think about, you know, the physiology of, of training. Um, I've done, you know, over 10,000 uh, physiology tests in laboratories with individuals looking at oxygen consumption, CO2 production, blood lactate, all of those things um, with a really broad range of folks, you know, from, from novices and even kind of people that are a little bit sick to, you know, your average endurance athlete to absolute world champions, Olympic 
you know, Olympic champions, et cetera, across the range a lot in cycling and running. I've coached then at that highest level for many, many years. I've been part of the U.S. Olympic team staff in 2012 and 2016, specifically uh, working with our women's team pursuit program um, in those roles. Uh, I worked with the Australian Olympic uh, team here in Tokyo and have coached I had coached Rowan Dennis for nine years through uh, two world championship titles and his uh, bronze medal there in, in Tokyo, but have worked with a lot of other athletes, cyclists and triathletes, uh, coached Flora Duffy for nine years as well to first, I don't know, five or six of her world titles, which she's now an Olympic champion, which I'm no longer her coach, but uh, we got to celebrate in Boulder when she came home after that because that was pretty great to see. So I like to apply sports science to helping people get better and faster and enjoy the process and stay healthy. I'm sure your basic recommendation to me would be just ride more dummy, uh, which is good for me. But, uh, you know, for, for people who are looking to kind of get to the next level, there's a little bit more to it than that. And let's briefly talk about some of those tools that you, I'm sure, use pretty consistently. And um, that comes down to power and heart rate. And so power meter, for those of you who know don't know, I mean, you probably have slapped one on your bike at this point, but the way it works is uh, inside the power meter is, is a strain gauge. It's a little piece of basically some sort of metal that bends, it just deforms when you apply pressure to it. And that measures how much power you're putting into the pedals. The heart rate monitor does exactly what you would think it does. It, it monitors how hard your heart is working uh, in beats per minute. Uh, and so we know these tools exist. Uh, we know there's different kinds of them. Um, Neil, really briefly, do you, first of all, do you have a preference of a type of power meter and a type of heart rate monitor that is better than another? For example, heart rate monitors come in two different kinds. There's optical and there's uh, ECG. Is there, is one better than the other? I would say most of what we see is better data coming from the ECG based ones that typically are then a chest strap um, where it's actually looking at the electrical activity at the heart rather than the ones that are potentially much uh, more often a wrist-based um, and using that optical sensor. Um, we just see better values from, from that ECG type consistently over time. doesn't mean you can't have a bad chest strap, which that does happen as well, or you can also have a really good wrist-based one if it has more sensors, uh, more different life uh, uh, of the different light sensors available there for the um, for that side. But generally, by and large, what you're going to buy off the shelf, I'd go chest strap if you want the most accurate uh, heart rate data. So you know, if you're looking for accuracy, ECG, the chest strap is the way to go. What about power meters? Is there any difference in your mind in terms of which power meters are better or worse? Yeah, there's there's a lot of great options out there these days. You know, if you go back 20 years ago, we had very few options. We had you know we had SRM and and uh, PowerTap were pretty much the two true options. Now there are a lot of really great manufacturers. Um, things to consider are um, generally you have a crank based. Uh, pedal base or hub base are your kind of primary on bike power meters with a crank base you have to consider is it left and right uh, independent or left and right together or is it one side only and multiplying that value times two um, i would say that having a left and right independent crank base power meter is among the the better choice or a pedal which would also have a left and right generally independent measurement are going to be your better ones i like those just because they're upstream of the drivetrain so if we use a hub based one like a, a power tap um, you know there's a little bit of loss through the drivetrain and so it's not as much of the direct measure 
but if you keep your equipment clean and stuff, you're, you're just you're always going to have that you know one to three percent uh, drivetrain loss. If you're not good at maintenance, well, oof. <laughs> well, that's me. <laughs> yeah, but I do um, like that that left right independent in either crank. And that's pedal. and that's particularly useful, especially if you have some sort of uh, injury you're coming back from, discrepancies, things like that. Um, not not exactly necessary in all situations, but definitely the better of the options if you can get it. Um, now let's talk a little bit about how these two measurements interplay. Like I think we, as cyclists, we we know that power meters are important and heart rate is important, but how do they actually work together to give you a, a better picture of your fitness level and what and how you should proceed? You know, if you're trying to figure out your own training plan. Exactly. So a power meter is is basically measuring that torque that you're applying to the crank um, or the force there and the speed at which you're pedaling, which the combination of that, that torque times the velocity is power. And so it's the actual output of work that you're doing. So power is pretty much, you know, a watt is a watt. You know, there there's nothing, you know, it's a it's a scientific valid data point of how much work you're actually doing per unit time. So a watt is a joule per second, which again, you can go into all the physics and, you know, what's a joule, uh, kilogram meter, you know, uh, Newton meter per second, all those kind of things. But realistically, it's a rate of actual work that's being done. And so if you ride at 100 watts, you have that amount of energy being produced per second. Uh, that you're putting into the bike. Internally, your body is actually doing more work than that. It's just the external what comes out, so the net output. So it would be very comparable to then like a light bulb. What uh, wattage would, would be required for a certain light bulb, a 60-watt a, a light bulb? There you go. If you were riding at 60 watts, you could light that thing up. Um, if you're riding at 300 watts, you could do you know five 60-watt bulbs or three 100-watt bulbs um, would be the output if you had a perfect translation, which you're always going to lose a little bit with the, the electrical conversion um, in some cases. But it's the work you do as, a, as an absolute mechanical kind of physical output. S- the reason that this is important in cycling is speed is relative. It's relative to the terrain you're in, whether you're going uphill or downhill or a flat if you're at an altitude, a higher altitude or lower altitude, if you have a headwind or a tailwind, speed could be extremely variable. You might be going up a steep uphill at six miles an hour, um, which doesn't sound like very much, but you might be producing 300 watts. Whereas you could be coasting down a hill with a little bit of a tailwind going 30 miles an hour, five times faster at literally 50 watts or even less if, if you even had to pedal at all. And so speed becomes not a really great thing. And that's why power is actually saying, how much work are you doing? Um, in something like running, pace might be uh, a better indicator than speed and cycling. Um, and so that's one of the things where sometimes when people come from a running background to cycling, it's like, well, speed is what matters. It's like, well, not as much. Like you can't coast when you're running unless you can levitate. I don't know. I, I can't <laughs> levitate and just coast while I'm running. Um, if I'm falling, I have, uh, I guess, maybe yeah. a, a couple tenths of a second before I hit the ground <laughs> coasting in the air. But yeah. realistically on a bike, you have a much bigger variation in being able to do work and also not do work. And so the power output really tells us a lot more about what's going on from the output side. And so that's an objective measurement. It doesn't change. I mean, Correct. a watt is a watt is a, a watt. watt is a watt. Exactly. Right. Now the, the other component of course is, you know, the watt is what you're putting out, 
The other component is how hard is your body working to put out that energy? And that is heart rate, correct? Yes. From an aerobic side, the heart rate is going to be a really great indicator of the cardiovascular strain. So heart rate is a response. So everyone that's alive has a heart that's beating. Um, There's a resting heart rate. Everyone has some sort of maximum heart rate. As you work harder, generally there's what we call a linear relationship between you do more work and your heart rate goes up. You do a little more work, your heart rate goes up a little bit more. And that's why heart rate has been really used as a a tool to look at how hard are we working if we didn't have a direct measurement like a power meter, as well as to quantify that cardiovascular stress and strain relative to what your rest is and where your maximum is. We often sometimes look at a few other values if we do some sort of testing uh, from a physiologic perspective, looking at uh, the heart rate relative to lactate concentration at a given power, and we can see where this kind of break point is, where your body produces more lactate than can be cleared is kind of this, uh, you know, very synonymous, I would say, with like a functional threshold power or a lactate uh, breakpoint power or maximal lactate steady state. There's a, a ton of different terms, but you can associate both a heart rate and power where that occurs. In tr- as we train, our goal is to be able to produce more power at a given heart rate and to drive up the power where that where that threshold occurs or some of these other points to a higher value, though your heart rate may not necessarily also increase. In some cases, heart rate where your maximum is doesn't change, but you can do a little more work. And that's where then having the power output relative to heart rate becomes of of much greater value. So if you're, if you're more of a word nerd, like I am, uh, the Watts would be sort of an objective measurement, whereas heart rate is subjective. It's, it's, it's unique to everybody. So my heart rate data is not going to apply to Neil's heart rate data. It's not going to apply to somebody else's heart rate yeah. data. Yeah, and I would so actually Neil, bring it more to a relative data point rather than subjective because subjective okay, would actually relative. bring into our head a little bit more, which yeah. might be our perceived effort, how hard uh-huh. it feels to be doing that. So I would say the heart rate is a relative response okay. that has, I, and I know that it's getting this semantics kind of deep, but, but <laughs> it would right. be a relative response. Yeah. Um, I like a good word argument. It's, it's like what I live for. Exactly. <laughs> um, so as, as an example, you know, one of the training tools I said I use is Zwift, and, and after the break, we're going to talk to Zwift, but uh, not to the company, but to people at the company. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> but one of the, you know, the training tools I use is Zwift, and they, they do a lot with uh, power numbers. And what I notice is at a given uh, power wattage output, uh, my heart rate can vary. So say one day, you know, I'm, do- I'm doing a steady effort of 220 watts, and I see my heart rate at 150. And then the next day I do that same 220 Watts, but my heart rate is spiking up to 165. What do I interpret from that in a general sense? Yeah, there, there are a few things that will influence your heart rate for a given power at a, at a similar level of fitness. So from day to day, your fitness isn't drastically changing. And so what we're seeing there are a couple different things that can be at play. Number one uh, might be stress, anxiety, things that are going on in your life that are completely independent of training. So if you had, you know, a heavy day at work and you had a a project going on or a project especially that's not going well, you have additional stress and anxiety, 
that stress and anxiety actually induces a, a series of responses, including increasing your heart rate. There's, there's uh, stress hormones and different things like that that will all be part of that, but that alone could elevate your heart rate. The great, I'm never know, stressed out, Neil, ever. Exactly. I'm always zen. Yeah. You're just zen, chill. So like, <laughs> I always like to say, like at the start line of a big race, like what's your heart yeah. rate there? It's not your resting heart rate, like unless right. you're like totally immune to, uh, to that level of, of stress and anxiety. Most right. people, it's like right. 100 some beats per minute and they're not moving yeah. where normally if yeah. they're standing, it's whatever, 50 or 60. Um, mm -hmm. So there's that stress and anxiety part. You have a few other things going on. Simply just hydration levels can impact that. If you're dehydrated, basically you have less plasma volume. Your red blood cells are packed a little closer and your blood is more viscous. Um, that's not good. That's going to make your heart rate higher for the same kind of effort level. So dehydration can do that. Heat has a massive impact on that. So if it's very hot, then you're going to be, you know, definitely running a higher heart rate for a similar effort. So like a fan is one of those things when we ride indoors, really important to have good airflow over us. Like when we ride outside, generally we have that air moving over us. When we're inside, we don't have that. And especially if you are in a smaller enclosed space, I know a lot of folks do set up their trainer in their garage. And especially if you live, you know, in Colorado, most times your garage isn't, you know, the same 72 degrees as the inside of your house. Maybe it's, you know, 40 or 20 in some cases. And so the heart, you know, the heat won't be a real problem in the garage. But if you're inside in that warm environment and you don't have the air moving over you, that's definitely going to have an impact. And then with fatigue, we see some changes in heart rate for a given effort level. In some cases, as you get really fatigued, actually your heart rate won't respond and it'll actually be a little bit lower, especially if you're like in the second or third week of a training block and you have this accumulated fatigue and maybe you're still kind of putting out that power, but your heart rate might be a few beats per minute lower and it's just an accumulated fatigue. We see that a lot like in a grand tour, you know, from the first week. Uh, uh, during a grand tour to the third week, we might see an effort level, see a, a 15 or even 20 beat per minute lower heart rate for that same power output. Yeah. I mean, usually we would think, oh, my heart rate's going faster. I must be tired or, or doing more work, but it's more nuanced than that. Um, yeah. There's a few we, different layers to peel for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, we could probably talk about this all day long, but about we got about a minute or so left before the break here. Um, are there any... Are there any rules of thumb for interpreting your heart rate and your power data and, and sort of understanding what the two are doing together? Yeah, I would say look at the trends over time. Not any single one session necessarily is, is the best indication, but if you're looking at changes in fitness over time, for a given heart rate, you should be seeing a little bit of an increase in power output in steady state efforts. Very short sprint efforts, it's not going to be a good reflection. The other thing we think about then during an effort is to kind of triangulate between the output, the power, your heart rate response, and your perceived effort to indicate when you're potentially having some of these things that may be better for you to dial down your power target on a given day. So normally, let's just say if your power is 200 watts at a heart rate of 140 and a perceived effort of like 5 out of 10, if you have a day where you're at that same 200 watts but your heart rate is much higher than normal, and your perceived effort is also higher than normal, you might want to back off a little bit. Your body's potentially, you know, a little bit overstressed and having a lower target that day would be a good idea. 
Uh, opposite of that, as you train, if you get more fit, you know, in three or four weeks, in some cases, some people see a big enough uh, improvement where that same 200 watts, now the heart rate's 10 beats lower and the perceived effort is also really low. It's a two out of 10 rather than a five out of 10. Maybe that target needs to be five or 10% higher because you've made gains in your fitness. So basically zoom out and uh, give it some time is really the, the takeaway. Yes, definitely. Cool. Neil, thanks for your time. Uh, and, and if you guys have questions or want to learn more uh, about uh, sort of these, the, the intersection of heart rate and, and power, Neil, is there a good resource where people can, can look? Yeah, we have a few things on, our, uh, uh, on the Wahoo Fitness um, on our forum. Um, we have a lot of information there, and we also have a little bit on uh, some of our web pages there on the Wahoo Fitness. You can look up uh, heart rate and, and power, and there's a few different articles that we have in there as well. Uh, so for those of you listening, we're going to take a quick break here. And when we get back, uh, we're going to talk to some folks from Zwift about how do you apply some of these metrics, uh, when you're actually in the heart of a training plan on Zwift, uh, we'll be back in just a moment. Why hello there podcast interruption alert, but I will only take a few short moments to say that if you're enjoying this podcast, you will love the regular magazine. So if you're not a reader already, then you can subscribe at ruler.cc for as little as six pounds per month. If you don't speak Northern Irish, that's six times 100 pennies. And for the price of a few coffees, you get regular columns from the wonderful Ned Bolting, myself, Orla Shinoui, and some of the very finest independent cycling journalism there is, all wrapped up in a wondrously beautiful publication. Go to ruler.cc. I'll leave you to it. We are back with the Ruler Tech Podcast. I am still your host, Dan Cavallari. I am still here in Chile, Colorado. Uh, and, uh, you know, because it's been snowing and cold and, uh, you know, typical winter stuff, uh, I have been on my trainer a whole lot. Uh, and I don't know about you all, but uh, my, my go-to is Zwift, of course, because it just sort of makes things easier. It makes life better when you're pedaling in place. And, you know, I spent a little bit of time off the bike, and so I'm doing one of Zwift's training plans right now. Um, and it's mostly based on your power numbers, uh, and, and the one I'm doing actually requires a lot of cadence work, which I think is pretty cool. But, you know, now that we've heard from, from Neil Henderson about how heart rate and power sort of intersect, I wanted to talk it to someone at Zwift about how their programs uh, focus on power and, and if and how heart rate factors into what they do to tailor their plans to people looking to get in shape, maintain fitness, and all that. So on the line, I have Shane Gaffney, the performance training manager at Zwift. Uh, Shane, how you doing? Good. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I, I appreciate you coming on and, and giving us a little education. Now, you know, I'm doing one of the plans right now, I, and I don't have it in front of me. I can't remember which one it is, but uh, it's a lot of sweet spot training. Uh, and so, you know, you find your FTP, uh, your functional threshold power, and then you, you spend a lot of time in that zone. And I wear a heart rate monitor strap, uh, when I do these so I can track where my heart rate is going and see basically, you know, how much work I'm doing to maintain the same amount of Watts. Tell me a little bit about how Zwift has designed these training programs. And I know Zwift focuses mostly on power numbers rather than heart rate. Tell me a little bit about, about why and how that's advantageous for a rider. I think the main the main benefit from our tool with Swift's training tool is you know it's a extremely highly efficient as you know from riding indoors in a very cold winter. It's extremely engaging and we have a very 
great community of other Zwifters that, you know, encourage and help to push people forward. And power is the gold standard for training. You know, I'm a level one USA cycling coach and I train all private athletes, whether they're professional through age group, all with power. Uh, in, for Zwift itself, we use a percentage of FTP to really fine tune and also calibrate the actual zones and the actual intervals to each Swifter. So the power-based training plan is just, I think, the best way to go about it and why we go about it. When you basically structure these workouts based on power, I mean, you know, riders can track their heart rate as you're, you know, in real time as you're riding. Does Zwift factor that into the workouts or is it really up to the rider at that point to sort of know their heart rate zones and know how much work they're doing? Yeah, we don't really factor in heart rate that much in the creative process just because, you know, I'm sure Neil attributed this to is we we can really fine tune interval training based on power, but really using heart rate, it's so nuanced and it's so subjective from rider to rider. It's really difficult to establish a lactate threshold heart rate, A, and then B, establish training zones and power zones based off that. Power is just a much better way to do that. Uh, and, you know, the, the actual content is derived from leading sports science, as I said. So, you know, power is the gold standard for a reason. And we're continuing to evolve and also learn and we'll stick to you know best practices as the science grows and continues to refine itself. So, for example, using HRV, using cadence, using heart rate and just those other metrics that uh, they're, they're, they're still being, I guess, ironed out and learn more about how effective they actually are in terms of training. I want to talk a little bit about FTP uh and one of the things you, you're going to have to do as a rider before you can even do any of these uh, workouts is to figure out what your FTP is, your functional threshold power. And that can be a little bit daunting and, and a little bit confusing for some riders. So can you tell me what that process looks like and how Zwift facilitates it? Yeah, so there's really three avenues you can go down on Zwift. The first avenue is a very traditional ramp test where you basically go until you puke or until you fail. Hopefully you don't puke. do both at the same the time. The <laughs> second route is the, yeah, exactly. The, sec, the second route is the 20 minutes FTP test. We have a, a short and also a long version of that with that all important five minutes kind of blowout effort in the beginning. And then we have a way that say you're in a race or a really hard group ride. If you set your best 20 minute power, Swift will alert you to say, hey, you've set your best 20 minute power. We take 95% of that 20 minute power, just like all the other um, coaches and other tools would. And then we say, hey, this is probably what your FTP is now based on this effort. So there's a few ways we can do it. I'd say most go with the ramp test just because it's the easiest to understand. And 20 minute effort is not very fun. If you've done a 20 minute FTP test, I'm sure you have. Uh, it's not the best, most exciting thing to do, especially indoors. So <clears throat> most people will do the ramp test, I would say. Yeah, it, it is not a fun experience doing a 20-minute FTP, but it is it is enlightening, that's for sure. <laughs> um, you know, and I did one uh, basically recently to, to, to do exactly that, and it was um, startling to find out what my FTP used to be versus what it is now. Um, how, how often should people do their FTP test? I mean, how often should I be 
checking to see if my FTP has changed? Yeah, there's no real great answer to that question because again, it's it's really subjective and it does depend on if you do come back from injury, uh, how long your hiatus has been, uh, how you respond individually to training and how and what that response is. So uh, really what I like to do to give you a super rough estimate is every six to eight weeks, sometimes up to 12 weeks, if you really feel like you're still being challenged by the workouts, somewhere in that range typically is good. Let's talk a little bit about the actual physical hardware as well as the software and how that software responds to the hardware you're using. Now I'm fortunate. I have my trainer set up here and I've got, you know, I've got a Wahoo kicker, you know, with all the wells and whistles. Um, and you know, it's, it's great because it's got all everything I need. I just fire it up and it's, it shows me the power. I don't have a power meter on my bike right now. Um, but for those people who maybe don't have a smart trainer, can they still do these workouts? And, and if so, how? Yes. So we require a speed sensor or a power meter, one or the other. As long as a rider or an athlete has one of those two, they can use Zwift and do all workouts, training plans, races, group rides, all the good stuff with it. Yes. And now if, say I, I have the speed, you said a speed sensor, right? Now, if I just have the speed sensor, how, how do I know that the power numbers I'm putting out are accurate if, it, if there's no power meter? Good question. You really don't. We use an algorithm based on speed, and then we try to approximate it to what that athlete's um, weight is, what their power should be around. But it's obviously nowhere near as exact or specific as a power meter is because it, it really just can't be. So if I, have, if I don't have a smart trainer, but I do have a power meter, I can still pair that or I can still use the, the, the power meter to, to do exactly what, what the trainer in my case does. Correct. There's three things you should pair for a smart trainer. One is the power source, which is essentially, you know, what the power is. The second is the controllable, and that's going to actually control erg mode. And then the third is cadence, which also helps to inform erg mode and what to control. Uh, you could also pair your controllable trainer with a separate power meter on your bike. And that will, it's a little bit slower than having the same meter attached, but you can also use that to control how much resistance the trainer applies through controllable. Now you mentioned erg mode, which I think is very, uh, a very appropriate name because I think that's the sound I make every time the, the <laughs> wattage ramps up. <laughs> can you, um, can you explain what erg mode is, uh, and how that factors into the training programs? Erg mode is a way that we can, uh, basically elicit a very steady resistance in the trainer. And I kind of like to equate it to the easy bake oven, you know, kind of set it and forget it kind of a thing. So really you don't have to change your gears. You just have to pedal your bike. So basically when you get to a harder interval, the trainer will automatically increase its resistance to approximate what that wattage calls for and then vice versa. And when you go to a recovery interval, it'll loosen the resistance. So you can recover. And most, in my experience anyway, from the training plans I've done on Zwift, um, erg mode is, is pretty key. Um, and that, to me, has been the key feature that, that keeps you consistently at the, uh, the wattage numbers you need to be at. Um, and so, but one thing to note is, um, <laughs> so funny, funny enough, the first uh, few workouts I did in the, the plan I'm doing, I had my FTP set way too high. Um, and uh, what that meant was I was destroyed about halfway through the workout and I had to stop pedaling. 
Tell me what happens when I stop pedaling in erg mode. In erg mode, if you stop pedaling completely, the game will pause within three seconds, and the workout will pause as well. Then when you start to resume pedaling, it'll gradually ramp up to erg mode again. Over the course of about 10 seconds, it'll ramp back up to erg mode again. Basically, if you're listening to that, basically what that means is if you stop pedaling and you're just gassed, and then you know it was set at 300 watts or whatever, you're not going to have to start by pedaling at 300 watts, which would be very difficult. Exactly. Uh, you, you get to yeah. it disengage. It'll ramp back down to zero yeah, again. So it disengages and you can ramp back up, which is uh, a nice feature. It's also another great feature, too, to talk about quickly is we have FTP bias in game two. So you can basically change your FTP bias by plus or minus 25%. So if you're really struggling with workouts, you can temporarily ramp your FTP down and then maybe do another retest or ramp test or FTP test just to make sure that you are training with the most accurate FTP possible. Yeah, I, I actually just discovered this feature a little while ago. And and I'm curious. Now, I discovered it because when, when you're using Zwift on your – say, I use it on my laptop. Um, I discovered the the uh, adjustment mode in on my phone um, because you can use the app as well at the same time. Is, is there a way to adjust it in-game uh, on your laptop too? There is, yeah. So if you recall what the uh, UI looks like or what the actual HUD looks like, the top left corner, you have that interval list. On the very bottom, you'll see uh, 100% with a up arrow and a down arrow. That's what your FTP bias is. So it, it always defaults to 100%, and you can increase that to 125% and then decrease it to 75% if you're having a really tough you day. You lost me at increase. I'm not going <laughs> to. It doesn't sound yeah. like me at all. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I do everything at 125%, but that's just the person yeah, I am. Sure. No, I'm just totally yeah, just I kidding. do mine at like around 25%. <laughs> yeah. Stop for snacks, you know, have a coffee midway. That's right. Right. Every ride is a coffee ride. If it's you're bike rider, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kefred's why you ride my yeah, bike. Exactly. Exactly. Getting back to, you know, power meters and heart rate monitors, um, obviously in, in Zwift, the heart rate part of it is is left up to the rider. And that's a good metric just for seeing how much work you're doing and, you know, whether your body needs to recover more or things like that. So if you're, you know, if you're pushing the same amount of watts, but your heart rate is spiking, you probably need more rest, things like that. Um, but Zwift is not going to facilitate that kind of information. It's purely power-based. Now, if I'm doing, um, if I'm doing workouts, what's the, uh, after I finish a workout, what's the analysis look like? Do I see my power numbers throughout? Um, can I can I see where I, I fell behind or where I was outperforming? We have a post-analysis graph that comes up after each workout, which basically gives you the power duration curve for that workout, as well as what the workout looks like itself for intervals, which is based on power, heart rate. We also show cadence, too. And then you can also refine that more in Zwift Companion, where you can actually just look at one metric at a time. So you can separate out cadence, power, heart rate, all that good stuff. So yeah, we have all that typical analysis tools done in-game as well as on the Zwift Companion app. Now, one of the, one of the things you just mentioned that actually factors pretty heavily into the workouts I've been doing is cadence. I don't have a cadence sensor. Uh, is there a way to still use that feature without having a cadence sensor on my bike? You can still approximate cadence just based off you know say 60 rpm is one revolution per minute on one leg right and then 120 is two so you can kind of approximate it that way so you can't necessarily see the actual number on the screen without a cadence sensor 
but you can definitely still increase or decrease your cadence based on what the workout is prescribing for you, just based on that metric. So I have to rely on my big dumb brain is what you're telling me. <laughs> you have to rely on your big, intelligent, my super massively smart brain. smart brain, yes. yes. Uh, which is, which is always performing brain, yes. at its best as I'm, you know, at, at FTP for 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. More coffee, yeah, man. That's exactly, exactly. Um, is there anything else notable about um, the way Zwift uses power that people need to know about before they hop into something like this? Or have we kind of covered the basics? I think the basics, yeah. I think most important thing is before you start, just to really make sure the FTP number is accurate. Uh, if you know what that is, you can update it automatically. And if you don't know, definitely recommend doing a ramp test or an FTP test just to make sure the workouts are all customized to you and what your current fitness level is. That's super important. If uh, if folks out there listening have questions about Zwift or, or about Power, uh, where where's a good resource for them to go look? They can either, if they have specific questions, they can go to our forums to ask them. And then we also have a bunch of uh, how-to videos on YouTube, as well as some how-to blog posts on our blog. So either of those three would be great to visit. Shane, thanks for uh, for joining me today. I appreciate it. Uh, and if you all have questions uh, specifically that you want to ask me, you can reach me on social media. Uh, I am at SlowGuyFastRide on Twitter, at SlowGuyOnTheFastRide on Instagram. You can, of course, reach us at Ruler Magazine. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. On all social media handles, we'd be happy to answer your questions as best we can. And uh, I'm always happy to reach out and pester Shane, too. So if you have questions for Shane, you can always reach out to me. Uh, Shane, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Likewise. <laughs> and to the, for those of you listening, thank you for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Relure Tech Podcast.